0: From George Saunders, New York Times bestselling author of 10th of December, comes Lincoln in the Bardo, his long-awaited first novel featuring none other than Abraham Lincoln. A moving father-son story, Lincoln in the Bardo breaks free of its historical framework into a supernatural realm, both hilarious and terrifying. On sale now, published by Random House, available wherever books are sold. The Incomparable Number 340
1: February 2017
0: Welcome back everybody to The Incomparable. We are continuing our journey through the films of Hayao Miyazaki. And this episode is going to be about 1986's Castle in the Sky. Laputa! I am joined, I'm Jason Snell as always, I am floating in a castle in the sky, suspended merely by the power of a crystal. Joining me here are a collection of moss-covered robots, led by Steve Lutz. Hi, Steve. I'm in love with you! Hello. Merlin Mann. Make your shirt explode. Oh no! (laughs) John Syracuse.
1: Based on some of the other panelists' introductions, I'm thinking some of
2: us may have listened to the dub.
0: That's quite possible. I don't recognize mm-hmm. that line. Those are cheaters.
2: Uh, no, I read the uh, I read the subs.
0: Aline Sims is here. Hello. Hello. And Erica Ensign.
3: One for all and all for mom. Oh, there mom.
0: Go. Good old mom. Mama. Mama. In Japanese, she's mama. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. mom. I discovered that this time. Anybody have any opening statements, John Syracuse?
1: <laughs> I have a statement about the opening. Which is the other thing that I do
0: that's uh that's pretty why don't we start there because if you don't have any opening statements then the next thing to do is talk about the opening of the film so that's Seems pretty much perfectly a, reasonable an opening statement yeah go ahead john
1: so i'm pretty sure i talked about the opening of this movie in other episodes of the incomparable maybe in uh the
2: miyazaki survey course that we did
0: yeah the, the uh, only two-person maybe... episode of the incomparable ever you and me
2: john Yeah. refresh our memory from episode 22 or whatever that is
0: it was the incomparable
1: Number eighty four, March twenty twelve.
2: Uh, the opening of this movie is
1: my second favorite opening, uh, second to the Nausica opening, and it is very similar to it. This movie is very similar to Nausicaa in many superficial ways, and uh, that this uh, it opens with an action sequence, and then there are there's a montage with uh, stylized sort of not title cards, but like animations that are done in a different style than the rest of the movie. In the right. same way that you have that you have that montage animation at the beginning of Nausicaa. And you get the, the theme music from the movie playing over it. Um, and I love that. I love the sort of, I'm going to give you background on the world wordlessly with some music. But this one uh, bookends it with the, the action sequence in the beginning, which is, you know, frames this movie well and says this is going to be, this is the kind of movie this is going to be. And, of course, our hero falls from the uh, airship and then the montage plays. And then when the montage is over, they cut back to our hero. Still falling because of course she's still mm. falling. We saw her fall, and uh, rather than say uh, and she falls to her death, it's like nope, she's still falling. She's unconscious and she's dropping through the sky, which I think is one of the most dramatic sort of reveals and intros to the movie. And it's it's brave and interesting, and it's it's something you normally don't see. Like uh, even if they were going to have the hero fall in the pre credit sequence in a, a more conventional movie, especially an animated one, you would resume to find her on the ground and you're not h- sure how she got there or at the moment with the crystal reveal rather than just showing the, the seemingly lifeless inert body hurtling downwards, which is... Straight down, head first. Mm. Right, which is very dramatic for, for an animated kids film. And I think overall this movie has shown in this very opening sequence dances on this weird line between cartoon physics and cartoon violence, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where there's lots of shooting and guns and they're pirates and they're slightly comical... But they're using realistic weapons, and there's a little bit of an edge of danger. It's like, it's three steps above G.I. Joe, where everybody ejects just in time and nobody actually gets hit by bullets. But it's, it's, uh, it's like a realistic, the, the drawings are all realistic. So I think uh, the opening of this movie definitely sets the tone for it and is, is one of my favorite things. And I think I may like the opening better than the rest of this entire movie combined. So we can oh. just sit here and, and dwell uh, on that for a while.
2: I agree with everything John said, except for the unfortunate fact that we start with the pirates, and therefore we get Joe Hisaishi's pirate theme, Mm. which is really not good. (laughs) It's unbelievably 80s, very uh, kind of jarring synth music, and it's possible to have synth music that has kind of an epic feel to it, that feels lush, and this particular theme does not. It's... uh, it's it's kind of a dull thud of of a music cue, which is unfortunate because all of the, the orchestral stuff with the opening theme and everything else is really beautiful and well done. And this just sticks out like a sore thumb. And unfortunately, it opens up the movie. Also, your
0: first impression of this film is, as I wrote in my notes, a clown and some guys in jumpsuits take over a Zeppelin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's got that Castle of Cagliostro kind of feel to it. I know we haven't done that one yet, but it's in that vein of like sort of nineteen thirties or forties stylized cartoon like all the characters they look more or less human, but they sort of do squash and stretch as if they're Looney Tunes characters in many regards. Like even when the door is bursting in, when they come into the door, the door bends and bulges mm-hmm. in a in a cartoony way, but then shatters into realistic looking fragments. It's this weird yeah you know, this weird balance between if you take any individual frame, you're like, this is a realistically animated movie. But if you happen to catch them in the middle of one of their cartoon physics things, it's it's strange. The pirates are the same way. They are both brandishing, semi-realistic guns with bullets in them, but totally comical. And, and the the audio impression that I get, yes, the pirates are goofy and you have that, that stuff in the beginning. But the, the sound that opens the film... Uh, and the theme, I think, that opens the film is yeah, basically Miyazaki loves flying machines, mm. and his flying machines make weird mm-hmm. noises, like the mm-hmm. sort of the rhythmic buzzing and whining of their strange bird-looking ship, and the the little insect things they're flying on. This could not be more Miyazaki, you know, like it's just
0: very yeah. wacky.
3: Yeah, my first note is all airships all the time. Yeah,
0: so true. So true. Um, I love that opening sequence. I love the woodcut kind of style of it. I think it's yeah. not only is the music good, but I I just love how the whole thing looks. I could watch that again and again on its own because I think it's really beautiful. And uh, and I'm I'm a sucker for that kind of like change in art style in an animated movie. And uh, and that's a great one. I love the I love the whole opening sequence. It's beautiful.
2: Now, I assume the change in art style is because we're seeing kind of a montage of what has come before. At least that's what I got out of it. The image yep. shown there is that that's the build up to the building of Laputa and, uh, and the end is they have returned to Earth on their giant spaceship, which looks like it crashed and there's tons and tons of people streaming out. And then we're back to the pastoral scene, only now it's Sheeta standing out there with her weird bull creature instead of the previous guy.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it wraps around because they show in the beginning... Uh, they started off. They figured out they can make windmills that are very basic and used to pump water from the ground. And then it, it progresses where they start, you know, putting propellers on propellers, and you know, culminating with the most ridiculous giant propeller underneath the floating city. <laughs> yeah. And all these cities are floating around. And look at what we've done. But then, of course, calamity and the forces of nature, uh, and or war, force them back to
2: the ground. And in the end, they're back where they started. Or with- just the sense they needed to return to the earth because, of course, man is indelibly attached to the rocks and the earth yeah
1: well it shows like all the you know the lightning and the storms and stuff like that Uh, they end up back where they started which is now you know what was once known was lost it's it's such a classic premise for a thing like there was the the old world and great advancement and they flew too close to the sun and they and now you know uh you know none now live that remember it so on and so forth we're back to we're back to that single propeller only now is there's a little girl there um and like like the star wars crawl it gets a lot of exposition out of the way, only without even using words, um, and sets up the whole world so you can just cut right back to the story and say, okay, now I see where we are, and back to the fallen
0: girl.
2: Well, the only problem with that is it took me two viewings to realize that that was the before times that I was seeing. Yeah. It just appeared to be images of uh, sky technology, which we had already seen quite a bit of, so, you know, there was no real reason to not assume that that was just present time.
1: Yeah, you got to pay attention. There's a progression. It's it's like <laughs> the montage in Journey, in the game journey. It's almost the same same
3: montage practically. Mm-hmm. I had I had seen Naushka so many times that that's it's the same same kind of thing. I mean, it's not exactly a woodcut, but it's giving you sort of the the history. So as soon as this started, I was like, "Oh, I see I see where this is going." All right, I'm paying attention. Yeah, the thing I like most about
2: the opening and it's actually the, the thing I like most about the first half hour of the of the movie is the way it kind of toys with your assumptions, because the first time through, I just sort of assumed that uh, the the man that Sheeta was traveling with in the glasses was her father and mm-hmm. the, the pirates mm-hmm. were straight up the bad guys. And I, I didn't mm-hmm. notice the subtle touches, like how she's refusing her dinner.
1: Yeah, he, he puts the plate mm-hmm. towards her and she just turns the head. He shoves it a, like very subtle animation again in yep. a movie where things get completely cartoonish very right. soon.
2: And even in that same scene. And when she conks him with the bottle, I just assumed, well, it's because he's trying to protect her, and she knows that he's going to get killed if he protects her. So she's going <sighs> to conk him and knock him out, take the crystal that she knows the pirates want. She's going to head out and, and and save her father. Uh, you got you're having a whole other movie running in your mouth. Yeah, <laughs> it made a lot of sense. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's tropes that I'm used to seeing in this sort of thing, you know, and uh, and so I was going with that assumption until actually 30 minutes in, when they finally reveal that she is afraid of the guy when he appears. So. I, th- I thought that was really cool, very well done and uh and and more effective than perhaps um it was to anybody else because I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, let's talk about Sheeta for a second
1: because you know with the Miyazaki heroines are, you know, so popular in a lot of the movies we watch and in this one the first couple times I watched this, I always felt mildly disappointed that she was that the lead in this one is it's kind of a split type thing. I'm not I'm not sure who you can say the lead but but uh mm-hmm. She does our main character, but she is immediately, you know, falling to her seeming death. Um, but on subsequent viewings, as I've watched, it, I've seen that she does. She actually does most of the things that a heroine does is just a, a co-heroine in the movie, like her little friend. Um, mm-hmm. So she's she's prisoner and can't do much about it. When she sees yeah. a chance to free herself from her situation, she takes initiative and conks him with the bottle. Then she's brave by going out the window. Um, but she's also a little kid. And miscalculates and falls. Uh, and so that, that all fits. And then she has to be carried by Patsu down. And you know she ends up unconscious for a long period of time. But as the movie progressed. And now my 900th viewing. I was taking note of. When is she being swept along by the, by the plot. And when is she doing something. Uh, making a decision and advancing the story or at least deciding her own fate rather than having the events of the movie decide for her. And I've come around a little bit to thinking that she's not as sort of cookie-cutter damsel as I originally thought she was.
4: Another thing I noticed watching it, I haven't really watched this in earnest in four or five years, and I think this is true of most Miyazaki movies, but this is a great exemplar, is, you know, we've talked before about how difficult it is to know when and where this is supposed to be. The only thing I, I usually feel with some certainty is these things are usually not in the future. I don't know if, if they're in the past, but you know, the combination of the di- different technologies, you know, the, the wackadoo outfits that people have. This feels very steampunk to me. Yeah, like steampunk whales, you know, but it like it, it, it <laughs> yeah. opens, yeah. but it opens with this uh, almost like a James Bond beginning when you think about the way she's falling. And I, I guess I just feel like it's. I'm realizing more and more how drawn in, how drawn in I am to when these things start. Like, I don't want to miss a single detail of what's happening. Cause not only am I trying to figure out who's who, who's, who's good guy, who's bad guy, you know what I mean? Who, what the relationships are, but you know, I'm thinking about, you know, where this is, what parts of this are the magical things. And I, I think these movies, and of course, and then it's just visually stunning. And maybe on top of it all, like, I don't think this looks like it's from 1986. It's, that's the other thing. These movies, it's very difficult for me to tell you from appearance what order these were made in. And yeah, it's kind of out of time. Yeah. Yeah. It is. But I feel like that, that confluence of different things. And, you know, as, as Syracuse has talked about so many times before, like, you know, sometimes things from different countries and cultures are just, they're interesting because they are so different. But in this case, like, why are these guys wearing like hoods and ballet slippers and what's happening? And I feel like that makes me that especially attenuates my interest in what's going on. I pay super duper amounts of attention in a way that I may not with with other kinds of movies.
2: That's part of why that supremely 80s pirates theme is so disappointing to me, because it really kind of drops the the action right into a specific time period. And I'm intimately aware that it's 1986 whenever that plays. (laughs) I'm happy with that awareness. I like that.
3: Yeah, I didn't mind that. I, it, it, having not seen a whole lot of Miyazaki and the few ones that I had, things that I had seen, kind of thinking that maybe it just wasn't for me. I didn't dislike anything I had seen. I just hadn't enjoyed it except for Naushka. And I was thinking maybe that was just a, an outlier. And that was just the only one I liked. Uh, This was the first time that I watched Castle in the Sky. And when it started, it, I was just immediately swept up in it. It felt like, sort of coming home. It felt like putting on a warm blanket. I was like, this all just sort of feels right. All of the things you guys have talked about so far. And then it wasn't until... I don't know, just a little bit earlier today, and I watched this yesterday, that I realized why it felt so comforting. And it was because it reminded me an awful lot of a series called Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water, which starts out with a, a, a mysterious, a young girl with a mysterious past who has a, a jeweled necklace that uh, some sort of wacky, uh, <laughs> some sort of wacky, they're not pirates. I don't remember exactly what they are, but they're a wacky crew of people that are somewhat funny trying to uh, trying to catch her. And she meets a young boy who's trying to invent an airplane. And they go on these adventures only to discover today that it was written by Miyazaki. So no surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I love Nadia. So all of those pieces sort of came together um, and, and, and it just made me feel kind of at home. And it's, it's very uh, it's a little more fantastical than Nadia is. Nadia gets weird because it ends up being 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Whereas I think this uh, I, I now prefer Castle in the Sky because it's a little a little less goofball later on.
2: I wanted to get back to uh, what John was saying about uh, Shita kind of be, being mildly disappointing um, because it doesn't seem like she has a whole lot of agency, although she does I- indeed make several moves that uh, that are heroic moves. But um, And I think a lot of the disappointment is, is just in contrast to the, the strong female protagonists that have been in other Miyazaki films. I mean, she kind of stands out in that respect. But I, I think a lot of that is just because, I mean, this whole thing is so much just a – like a boy's adventure tale, like a treasure island, mm-hmm. except with airplanes. Yeah, totally, and oh sure. And it's so much from Pazu's perspective. I mean, he's uh, he's he's an orphan, sure, but he's got this cool pad yeah, where he's he able to build the, the this best airplane. Orphan pad ever? Like, yeah. <laughs> and then this. Really beautiful girl just descends from the sky and lands in his arms and he's able to save her and then they have a big adventure and they fall into some uh, mining tunnels, but they're not really that scary because they brought sandwiches and then Uncle Palm shows up and Uncle <laughs> Palm is this this happy guy <laughs> he's just a buddy and yeah. uh, and then they join the pirates and then there's a giant robot and yeah. uh, you know so much of it is just from that perspective that I think I think Sheeta kind of gets lost in 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 the mix, but on the other hand. Really, the only character in this thing that is a complex, fully formed character is Dola, who is a wonderful character mm-hmm. and and very uh, very nuanced. So, I think that somewhat makes up for it.
1: Yeah. The, speaking of that that opening sequence with his house and her finding it, like they spend so much movie, so much time, and Miyazaki always does. He'll spend all the time in the world just establishing atmosphere and whimsy, like patsu fixing the machine getting meatballs for his boss the unconscious cheetahs up top and he's running around doing his job he you know he, you learn that he you know that he's a kid he's got to work he's got to work hard everyone else has gone home the economy is not that good yeah the miners he are talking spurs. coming up in the elevator spurs. and all of
0: that about how they're going to run out of stuff in the mine yeah
1: learning to work the break then he goes back to his house <laughs> and it's all foggy in the morning and he lets the doves out and plays his trumpet I mean it's like yeah. the Great. whimsy is just coming onto your head it's like unbelievable
2: do you think the town appreciates that trumpet playing by the way or do they hate the orphan on the hill well that's why they send him
4: to the hill yeah, <laughs> yeah. and take your trumpet with you
2: yeah, and he
1: jumped he, he he jumps off with the crystalline. Like, here's the thing about these two characters. Like, they're, you know, this is an adventure movie and the characters aren't that complicated. But for the character, for the traits that the characters have, Patsu and Shida, they are good natured, like, chill people, basically. Like, they're both of their personalities. He's a bit of a goofball. She's generally nice. They both have grit and determination, but neither one of them has the complicated character flaws of, I mean, I guess, as a, of an older person, I suppose, right? They, they both have the naivete of children, which is probably appropriate, but I think neither one of them are are like even as complicated and have as much uh, of an inner world as for example, Kiki, who I think is just supposed to be a little bit older, but I get a Kiki vibe from this beginning part because of the amount of time they spend dwelling on the the mundane details of their life of, you know, their house and the breakfast and the trumpets and the doves and feeding them and just, they spend a lot of time here, uh and that that gives me the warm fuzzies because Kiki is basically an entire movie of that. Right. Um and this is this is a nice sort of uh interlude between the big dramatic falling from the airship to <laughs> two tanks driving down train tracks and falling into a giant pit, you know, like it, it, this has this has a nice rollercase roller coaster in terms of the the wacky action and then the interludes where you're talking to Uncle Pom and, and the, the rocks are lighting up
4: there's there's another part uh that is i think runs through somewhat through the movies which is uh you know obviously it's a movie there's events we are we are seeing the action happening and part of that is the pacing the storytelling all that kind of stuff but if you think about a lot of the characters especially the kids in his movies think about what their life is like all the time when they're not doing that action you might imagine a pretty lonely kid if you think about really just a whole lot of the characters Uh and in this case, these are two kids that, that were probably, you know, pretty lonely. And you know, you know what it's like when you make a friend and now, you know, mm-hmm. you're looking out for that person. And I think there's something, you know, it, something, you know, kind of sweet and organic about that. And and again, also maybe a little bit melancholy. I, I, I could be a little off base here, but I think I think a lot of his characters, if you imagine them in their repose, would probably just spend a lot of time ruminating and feeling a little bit alone. And it's nice to see people come together like that, you know, uh, with a common cause.
0: That's what I like about Shida and Patsu working together, is that it feels more like, I don't know, you know, more fairy tale like, but it's where there's the boy and the girl, and they're, it's like Hansel and Gretel almost, right? They're kind of lost and on their own, and they have to take care of themselves, and they're a team. And yeah they go off and do some different things and she gets taken because she's the key to this because she's royalty she gets taken away and Patsu has to have his little daring do but I do feel like they're a team and that's one of the things I like about it is that they're, they're on equal footing also by the way if you listen to the dub version the English dub the voices of, of uh, Patsu and Shida are much older sounding than they are yes. in the Japanese version so I think the right way to look at them is that they're pretty young they're, they're maybe even not just a
2: little younger than Kiki they're a lot younger than Kiki these are fairly young kids that was the same issue i had with nausicaa where where suddenly she jumped from like a 13 year old girl to a 17 year old girl yeah
3: yeah i mean the way those pirates were, were t- treating Sheeta. did uh, at first i was like oh yeah they're little kids and then suddenly all these pirates are falling yeah. over each other in love with her i'm like okay we'll maybe she's that. older
2: <laughs> now, how old are they supposed to be do you think because based the on pirates? the voices the japanese know that the kids because based oh, on the, the japanese Say voices 11. i assume yeah maybe 12, 11, 12 11 yeah yeah but obviously the the English dub suggests, and perhaps that's just because of the pirate scene later that suggests that they're a bit older, but they they sure don't look it, but I don't know how much of of my assumption that they're young comes from the fact that they just have high pitched voices, and that could be coming from you know a fifteen year old uh, oh they're small
1: they're small, they're small people, they're small child constructed people, yeah, you know? that's
2: certainly how they seem yeah.
1: Yeah.
5: I was thinking even maybe like nine that could be oh wow, yeah, sure. I was thinking they were really really little, but then you know. As we will discuss, some things that happen later read that really creepy. So, also, <laughs> also the idea of a nine year old just living all by himself in a, in a
3: house, taking care of himself. Well, that's that's part of the melancholy. Like you're True. It's
1: supposed to be it's in James this the giant
0: peach kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: She, when her parents die or whatever, she just has to keep staying on the farm and taking out the yaks and and you know doing <laughs> all the stuff. And and Potzer doesn't have parents he's, he's got a he's a kid but he has to work and it's hard being a kid who yeah. works and he works hard and he lives by himself and he makes his own food and he takes care of his own doves and like that's the world for you know this this is kind of a fallen world where the the ruins of the past civilization are there if you look at where they're living they're kind of living in like a crater and you can actually see it at various points there are like like impact craters all over the ground like old impact craters whether from meteors or from bombs from the past civilization or however that are falling that cities down. Yeah, Yeah, so it's a it's a tough
2: world for everybody, and that's randomly fired off weapons from sky fortresses. Could Could be
1: they live they live in a tough world, but they are both of these characters are cheerfully determined to do
2: whatever needs to be done. Well, I think a lot of it just comes from that whole adventure tale view from the childhood view. Anyway, I mean it's you know you're sitting around fantasizing. Well, you know if I could get rid of these idiot parents of mine, I could live in a hut somewhere and have great adventures, completely self sufficient. (laughs) And I don't have to worry about anything like building or purchasing a house. One would just appear for me, and I could live in it all by myself. He's wistful though,
1: because he he misses his dad and his he's his his project. Like you say, all oh, these kids must be lonely. Patsu has a project. His project is to build a plane and to prove his missing or deceased father right. That you know, this picture he took that everyone said he was crazy. Like he's you know he's he has something that he's trying to do. We're not quite sure what she does doing other than she was just hanging out on her farm in the absence of her parents and got stolen. Right.
0: Let's talk about the pirates and the pirate chase. One of the things that happens. So after after we have our moment in the uh, in the mine and all of that, uh, one of the next things that happens in this movie is this big pirate chase. They come down on their bug flyers. There's a chase through town. It leads to a, uh, a chase, a train chase. Uh, and then, and then the, there, it becomes a three-way chase because then the army is on the train tracks and then the pirates are kind of battling the army and, and the, there's a crumbling bridge and, and you know it ends with them falling from the the crumbling bridge uh, that they're dangling on, and of course they float down because, as we saw in the opening sequence, if you've got that crystal, you don't fall to your death; you float down. But I love this whole thing. I I love this <laughs> whole thing. The the train chase it's great it's a great action sequence where they they're coming up behind them and they've got the extra cars and then they try to uh dis- disconnect the cars so that they'll hit them but then they push forward and then they have to try to put the brake on in order to to delay them further like all of
4: that and but also then the f- also the way they the way they frame it where like there's the great there's the slow motion chest thumping fight scene that has all the sons interested yeah. right where they're bursting all their uh their shirts yeah I, we should talk about that, that was so great. But <laughs> yeah. mom- Mom, mom gets the binoculars and is, and she, they're all wanting to watch the fight. She, there's a wonderful shot that kind of frames this, the beginning of this, where she's, at first starts out looking at the front, right? And then she slowly turns and looks down. She's the smart one. She figures out that they went out the back door. And that kind of frames the beginning of that. While well, the sons, like, you know, are watching all, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just, and the framing that, oh, the way the tracks are torn up, like, why are they throwing the car off? I'm not sure. But like, it was, it was, it was a great action scene. Again, like something from yeah. James Bond. It was it was really good.
3: They were throwing those off so they could they could pull their car forward forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And they and the army thing is great where they're like, whoa, we can't go there. It's the army, and we can't. Oh no! But then now they're coming, and they go across the other uh, the other bridge. They're running at this point across the other bridge, and uh, the army like takes it out and uh, yeah it's all it's all very exciting um i just i, I really love the whole thing it felt very it gave me the same feeling that like watching a good like a watching an indiana jones kind of sequence makes me feel it's just it, again it's adventure and daring do and some, some surprises and
2: some interesting actions that the characters have to go through although who builds these trestle bridges that fall apart when a car drives over
5: them yeah there's a lot of damage
4: <laughs> that wasn't in the spec steve
5: yeah i, I wondered about the <laughs> physics of those just kind of in general they seem like they're you know like a mile off the ground (laughs) all wood and i was like they've got to be imbued with some kind of magic to actually be holding together at all here and they're barely holding together
1: that's Uh, true the other flavor you get from the sequence is when patsu like when he's running to catch the train originally a you get the impression that he's run to catch train many times and it's confirmed when he gets on there and the, and the the engineer of the train recognizes him, says, oh, Patsu, mm-hmm. like, like you get the idea, you get a picture of his life, that he is a scamp, he's running around, he's doing his job. Sometimes he catches a train. And of course sure. the engineer knows him because he does this all the time. And that, you know, that kind of gives a sense of community that this is in, on his home turf and that's why he's able to outsmart them all, right? Because he, he knows the territory despite the army
2: and the pirates after mm-hmm. him. Well, and he knows the pirates, too. He's the one that announces it's the Dola gang following him. Yeah, yeah, he's. He's tied into all of everything that's going on.
0: Finger on the pulse. Do people want to talk about that the previous scene where they're in the town and they they're the the pirates come and there's the, the we have the battle yes. of the people who's who can swell their chests up so that their shirts <laughs> yeah. are way too tight. What does that prove? It that. proves that your shirt is too tight if you can break your They say like hey do that thing where your where your shirt Burst open like all right i'll do that
1: make your shirt explode uh, yeah the wife <laughs> of the uh, uh you know potter's boss who's the the big strong guy his wife is there with like a, i don't know she's got like a pan or a rolling pin or something yeah. and when the fight's <laughs> gonna go out she grabs the the daughter the the wonderfully rumple-haired Daughter, right? <laughs> her. Her. The maid. Yeah. Pulls she's her so inside. Cute. And of course, Patsu's next to his boss making his big thing. She comes back a minute later, grabs him, pulls him into. It's like, <laughs> this is not, this is, you know, it's another case where they're like, oh, the women have to take the women folk in. No, she's taking the children in. Yeah. And she just yeah. had to take one in. And then she comes back out. Patsu, you're coming. And he has to, she has to convince him, oh, your job is to protect, you know, convince him to stay here that he's not being emasculated as an 11 year old. That Oh, your job is to, to protect your friend, right? And he's like, oh yeah, okay, I can do that.
3: And that's another great bit of animation too, because you you actually see the thoughts like behind her little animated eyes going. Yeah, let's see. I need this kid to stay inside. What can I say that's going to make him actually? Aha! You can like practically see a light bulb going off. And uh, and the way I, he
4: sort of ahead. when when in the Japanese or in the uh, subtitles, this she's saying it's again this is maddening how different these are. But she says something like you know there's a pretty girl here, and you see him go hmm, and he kind of puffs up his chest a little bit and like realizes he has a job to do.
5: There is no way. I can think of that I would love this scene in any other type of movie than a Miyazaki movie. (laughs) I was sitting as I was watching it tonight. I was trying to imagine, okay, if this were a live action thing, I would be like, I don't know, rolling my Mm -hmm. eyes. If it were some kind of like Disney movie, I guess Gaston does that kind of, but still not my favorite. But in this, it just absolutely delights me. It is so over the top. And so I don't know, man preening. And yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just hilarious. And I love it so much. And I love boss's wife. And she's just kind of yeah. standing back there observing all of this. And she's like, I'm not fixing that for you. <laughs> you know, and yep. I just it's just so so many little delightful things that just make me grin every time I see the scene. It's one of my favorites in the movie, actually. And you can tell from his
1: wife, like, again, the wife and the daughter, the rumpled daughter and the wife. You can tell, like like everyone else in this town, it's a hard life. Like, these yeah. are hardworking people. they you know, everything is not perfectly clean. They're trying to make the best home they can in what looks like the ruins of a city that they didn't build, built into the side of a cliff. Uh, it's just such a flavor for... For everything involved, even though like that town is not going to be part of this movie for long, like we will leave this setting. But it's just oh, but you
4: get you get so much out of the the community part. Also, we should give a shout out, uh, in, at least in the dub, Tress McNeil is that her name? The woman who does all the voices on like Futurama and The Simpsons. Yeah, <laughs> she's so good in that small role. But also just the way the whole like there's there's a sense of community pride and like wanting to protect you know, uh, these these people and kind of the honor of the community. <laughs> so they throw everything at them. Yeah, and the Dola throws, throws a grenade at them, like a German-looking like, uh, like a Like a
1: potato grenade. masher.
4: And yeah. of course, it's not
1: going to, yeah, potato masher grenade. It's not going to, like, again, totally realistically rendered, but you know that it's not actually going to kill anybody with shrapnel because this is the type of movie this is is that everyone will see it and go, whoa, and they yeah. run away, and there'll be a big orange explosion, and everyone will be fine. Again, this really weird balance with these photorealistic weapons and and nobody getting hurt. Um, and then it ends with like with them all hiding under covers, and you've got the spy planes. Oh, I love the spy planes going around, like the, the, the government planes making that ominous noise almost silently mm-hmm. overhead. And Dola, for the millionth time, is the is the smart one. She she's the one who knows stay undercover. And the kids are like, "Oh, the coast is clear. We can
2: leave." And of course, they get trapped. They get caught. Yep. Right? Yeah. The only thing that bugs me about this sequence is that the the animation on the characters sometimes dips into that. Anime wackiness thing, where I guess it might be the squash and stretch that you were referring to before. Yeah, but. they're like, like Looney Tunes cartoons. They're they are mm-hmm.
1: ex- exaggerated. Like suddenly they're made of jello.
2: Yeah, and they're like stomping their feet
4: and weirdly slow motion sometimes. Yeah. Like when they get hit with a shovel, it's like at one third speed with the, with the grin on their face. It's so odd.
1: Yeah, like that's. I mean, they they purposely owned it again but the with the punching thing where they both punch each other in the stomach and make big expressions. I mean, you might as well have seen a giant bead of sweat appear on their head. They don't go that far, but like a lot mm-hmm. of the anime tropes come in and they'll slide right back to completely you know realistic sort of kiki style animation for other sequences like when they're having lunch in the tunnel but when it comes to the action scenes suddenly they become made of rubber again
0: so they fall down in in the uh, in the pit and and the, and uh, are saved by the glowing <laughs> the crystal and they meet uh, Uncle Palm, who lives down in the
4: caves or whatever, I can't see you clearly yet, Goblin. <laughs> and
0: and they learned that <laughs> so um, if they turn off all the lights, the the uh, the rocks down there in the mines uh, glow, and it looks like looks like stars or something. And this is Ethereum, the material that her uh, her necklace is made out of. But these are just sort of trace amounts in the rocks. I, I I mark down that with all that glowing all around them in this in the rocks, it seems like it seems a little dangerous. Like it's it's. It's radium, everybody. It's like, no, 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 don't, <laughs> don't, don't. But no, uh, it's, it's down down okay. All time. <laughs> He's He's run away. The floating city had Ethereum. So. Well,
2: that's why they can squash and stretch now. They've been living in a yeah. <laughs> nuclear waste dump for the last 50 years.
1: Yeah, The Ethereum thing, uh, I remember thinking on the first time through that I really liked Ethereum because the opening sequence with like the little title cards and the different style showing these ridiculous things, like giant floating, you know, castles in the sky with Big lazy propellers, and you're like, those mm-hmm. propellers won't couldn't make those things float. That's that doesn't make any sense. Like, why even bother having the propellers? The propellers are practically you're like, oh, it's not the propellers that are making it throw It's the Ethereum that's making it float. The Ethereum is magic, the propellers are just there for steering and aesthetics. And suddenly the world is coherent within within this rule system because none of the the rest of the stuff makes sense and if you look at the modern things all of the modern devices they don't have ethereum they're all they're all dirigibles of some kind they're Mm -hmm. all big they're you know lighter than aircraft with a bunch of crap strapped to them because they don't have ethereum and so all their vehicles look i mean maybe not realistic because you have these these hot air balloons or you know these helium filled things or whatever they're supposed to be with tons of iron strapped to it but you know we'll give some creative license but i like that it is a system that makes sense instead of just saying, oh, castles float
2: and these propellers do it. No, the propellers nah, the, do the it. The propellers are there because Miyazaki will put a propeller on any yeah, damn thing put a propeller on he a propeller. propellers. Yeah.
3: Put it on a bike. Put,
2: I don't care. Put a windmill on a windmill. <laughs> put it out in a field and make somebody stand next to it.
3: <laughs> it's propellers all the way down. We also
0: <laughs> learned that Shita is a princess question mark because her oh my god they're both orphans Lushita. dead parents and
2: they she's a secret princess it's a disney movie i know
0: lucita laputa she is actually from the mythical but not after all floating city of laputa
4: i want to i want to name like a borges story that's a cool name <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we'll hear another one of those later Although
1: a D- disney movie wouldn't have had the scene where Sheeta is on her farm hanging out with the yaks the blue yaks or whatever they are doing her chores right and then, like they again with the realistic framing, like this is right out of like an adult movie. The the beautiful hill and the four men walking up from the distance, and that's all you need to see to know she's being kidnapped by men, by serious men in suits, right?
2: Well, I, you kind of need the part at the end where Pazu says, "So you were kidnapped because I didn't get that <laughs> at all until he said that." Right, but they don't
1: they don't go through the kidnapping scene. They don't see the struggle. It's just in the distance for. Uniformed men walking up, and her looking at them. It's like,
2: ugh. We don't need to show any of that nastiness. It's just like we didn't need to show the uh, Colonel Thomas Dolby get conked on the head with a wine <laughs> bottle earlier. We cut away from that. That's right.
0: <laughs> the uh, let's see. So so now we know that she's got her uh, her her royal lineage, and that uh, Lapita the the that uh, Patsu's father insisted was real is real. Um, Can we talk
5: about Uncle Palm for just a second? Sure. At first sure. I was like, he's really cool. And then I'm like, wait, is he actually Gollum? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Take away the precious. I don't want to see the precious. It's, he, he it's right. all about all
4: radium. That radium screwed yeah. him up. He's got the Marie Curie problem. That's right.
0: Okay.
2: He, He sees goblins and he talks to rocks. Something's wrong with so powerful. He's used to low levels of Ethereum, and that is just, it's too much. He can't even take it. mm,
5: It's too strong, but he is, he's like,
2: he's like reaching for it and his hand is shaking and you're thinking, oh, he is goleming.
5: Yeah. "Mm -hmm."
2: (laughs) But no, he's just, he's a, he's a friendly old talking to rocks guy. Yeah. He's not all there, but he's uh, he's a friendly enough dude.
0: So when Mushka gets Sheeta, one of the things that happens is there is our first
2: view of a robot. That is a coolest robot design, by the way.
5: Oh, I love it's, it. I, I awesome. could
2: not love that robot more. Yeah. Oh, I love the kind of flexible uh, mm-hmm. design of the arms and the super long arms that turn into wings. It, yeah. It's just it's something super creepy and cool about that. Although he does kind of look like he should be standing out in front of a car dealership. <laughs>
5: <laughs> they have a
1: giant size
2: one in the uh, the Studio Ghibli Museum in Japan, yeah. like a, a full size
1: metal statue of it. And it's very impressive looking. Nice. This, this whole setup of like where, where he, they get kidnapped to, like this... This sort of castle slash military base, such a great look. It, you know, sort of exaggerated medieval castle mixed with like World War Two bunker, and and Apato is in the in the the little dungeon where the door is two feet up off the ground and tries to squeeze himself through like the little archery slit that leads onto the parade grounds <laughs> where the soldiers are marching. Such atmosphere again, t- total total remove from like the weird mining town in, in, into this. Um, which we will soon see wrecked in another great action scene. But I, I just love, I mean, this is this is the thing we talked about before, like the combination of multiple uh, Earth
0: cultures from
1: the past, as, as inva- imagined by Japanese people,
0: is uh, always delightful. Yeah, I agree. And I do love this robot. Um, one of the things about the robot design that I really like is that I think when rendered, if you rendered it realistically, you would entirely lose it's um you would entirely lose its charm i think because i think its charm is that it is a it's a it's an animated robot it's a drawing of a robot and i think i think uh uh you can see like i love how the arms hang down like and that's a thing that i think if it was rendered realistically it would look dumb but the way that it's drawn it's just beautiful it's it's awesome that
2: also allows it to move on four limbs in a way that is supremely creepy and really cool looking
0: Mm-hmm. Right,
1: and it, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't squash and stretch for the most part. It like its face is entirely inert. It doesn't blink. It has two differently shaped and sized eyes. It
2: all of its emotion is expressed through body language and two blinking red lights. Yeah, that's pretty great. I love the way it's animated too. When it's uh, when it's kind of testing out the fact that it's missing part of its arm and one of its feet. Yes. Like it's kind of yeah. it's kind of identifying the fact that that this piece is missing and it's got to kind of adjust a little bit and clearly it, it doesn't do it completely properly because it has some trouble flying around when its wings get out initially but just the the whole uh, dynamic of that is just really cool they and they draw the
1: insides of it like because you can see it with the broken up arm the inside kind of look like look like mm-hmm. a person's guts but it's still all clearly mechanical like you get that fine line of like it, an organic robot like what if What if organic beings were made of metal instead of, or, you know, we don't know whether it's metal or ceramic. Is that the two choices? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, like, as, you know, living things as envisioned is made of something other than flesh. And, you know, it does such a great job, both here and later, of being convincingly advanced. Like, so clearly this technology is beyond the people who found it. Like, they show it falling from the sky with a stylized animation onto the farmers, right? This is so clearly super advanced tech that they have no idea how it works, but at the same time, it also looks like old and steampunk, right? Like, it's it's so confusing to them. Like, they don't understand. They think it's dead. They don't understand how it works. Its weapons are so much more powerful than the other weapons they have. There's just one, this one gardener robot or whatever the hell it was. Uh, it could have been one of the combat ones, I suppose. But it doesn't look like, it's not, it doesn't look like all techno metal, like, sci-fi future as we would imagine so to us it looks old but to them it's super advanced i love i love its near indestructibility and and the havoc it wreaks on the entire army this one poor half-broken robot
3: yeah, I think that was the thing that spoke to me the most was just how effective it was at <laughs> burning and bashing and killing like everything that I mean, more than anything else. Yes, the technology looks really, you know, advanced as compared to the, you know, steampunk city with the, the wooden bridges that fall down when you drive over them. But the fact that all it had to do was just basically point its little head and shoot its laser beam out and just suddenly things are erupting into flame. And by the end of it, everything has erupted into flame. I was like, okay, this perfectly illustrates how advanced these you know lapidin people must have been and and the kind of thing that these two kids are about to get themselves into on their adventure looking for this place like wow you, you kids have bit off perhaps more than you can chew which just ratcheted up the tension and was delightful.
1: yeah and this this is another this is another action scene and uh, a, this is a shift I think into all right so we've got realistic looking guns and we've got the, the potato masher grenade and we've got fist fights but really no one gets hurt and this this brings brings it up another level where there you know the music is more ominous there's flames everywhere there's not as much cartoon cartoon violence is more like regular violence you don't really see people burning to death or dying but you do see people screaming and you see a lot of flames and for both of my kids, this was a very intense scene. And the first few times my daughter watched this movie, she did not make it past this scene. And for many, many years, this was known as the robot movie. Can I see the robot movie? Mm. She eventually uh. watched it through, and it became one of her favorite movies, and she watched it over and over again. But essentially, like you wouldn't think, oh, Castle in the Sky, that's the robot movie. But to my
2: daughter, this is absolutely the robot movie. Yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing that with... As as little emoting as the thing is able to do, I actually wrote down when it gets destroyed. Ah, poor indiscriminately destructive <laughs> giant robot. I because know. Trying to protect his princess.
1: Mm-hmm. This is the big turn for Sheeta, right? She's stuck in this thing that you know. That, what's his name? Uh, uh, Muska tries to give her like dresses and stuff, and and you know, we need you to work the crystal because we're not sure. You know, he, he's he's playing out his plot, and right. her being captured and plied with dresses is a, such a stereotypical thing, but. It's a complete role reversal. What happens here? Because normally, what happens is uh, the girl is is trapped somewhere, and the hero sacrifices his self. says I don't care what you, I don't care what you do to me. I'll help you with your evil plot. Just let the girl go, and the girl goes free, and and the the male hero sacrifices himself to you know because that that's all he cares about to protect her. She does that for him. She yeah. says, "I will deal whatever. I'll do the deal. Just let Patsu go," and he comes out of the dungeons, what, what, I'm ready to fight, we're going. it's like, oh, actually, you know, you can go free, she's gonna help, everything's fine, she plays it up, like, no, it's good, I'm fine here, you can go, and he leaves, um, of course, he's all crushed, because he doesn't feel like, you know, he, he feels like he couldn't save her, or he doesn't t- totally buy that she was doing that, but she, she makes a choice there, she makes a heroic choice, sacrifices herself, and it's, it's the exact opposite of, of the same move that you see in a million other movies, and again, the first many times I saw it, well, I couldn't get over the fact that she was just being held prisoner in this castle by the bad guy, which is just so stereotypical, but it's really actually less conventional than that, um, and I think it plays pretty well, because even though they do the reversal, the, both of their reactions to the situation are not what you expect. She cries in the, in the tower after after making this decision because she's upset about now she she made the sacrifice but it's tough to make sacrifices and he runs away and he's dejected because even though he is free he doesn't feel that he's been saved because he feels like it's his responsibility his gender role to protect her and so they're both they're both stuck in the opposite roles and both the characters in the movies know it and don't handle it well they're like can not we be in a stereotypical fairy tale where these roles reversed i would
2: feel much more comfortable but the answer is no well, they both act like kids would act in that situation, to, to my sense. Yeah, I mean she's, I, I, she's sort of manipulated into into believing that the safest thing is to send away pasu, patsu for his own good and he you know, his response when he's being told to get the hell out is well, okay, if that's how you feel, I'm, I'm out of here. Which,
1: well, But he, he gives him the money, and he's so bitter about the money, he's going to throw it away, but of course, he's a poor kid, so he can't actually throw it away. Like, his <laughs> pride is hurt, right? Because he expects to be the hero, because, I mean, even Dola throws it in his face, because they're waiting for him back at his house. They're like, oh, I guess you couldn't save her, right? But he
2: doesn't he doesn't take the money as a bribe. He takes the money because he's he's clearly in some sort of form of shock during that whole speech. You know, right, It's not cause... like he's like, okay, fine, I'll take the money, and you go ahead and do whatever you want with right, her. Right, but it's...
1: as he's walking Home. He's like, he he's going to throw the money off the cliff, but then he can't he can't do it because you can't throw away that kind of money.
4: My my, my take on that was much much simpler and and not as politically advanced. It was much more of like I, I have this new friend, and I have either let them down and or they have been left with an impression that is you know. I, I did not have a role in how this thing turned out, and now this person's going to hate me. That was more how I read it.
1: Well, Dulla throws it in his face, says, oh, I guess you couldn't save her. Took the money and ran, didn't you? Yeah, she like, is harsh rub- on rubbing, him. Rubbing yeah. in his worst fear. His worst fear is that, yeah. he, that he didn't do all he could do and that he feels like he was expected to. He doesn't Classic want mom. to have been saved by her. <laughs>
3: But I mean, when you look at the, the society, like, yes, they are sort of doing the opposite gender role things that you would expect. But I think the reason that Sheeta is, is a special character is because of the fact that she does something different. This world has very yeah. stereotypical gender roles. They even call it out yep. that, you know, but uh, when they're talking about Dola later on, well, you're female, you know, you, if you're doing all this stuff. I should be able to fly the kite too. So I, I, while it's nice that she is is doing things that are are not necessarily the stereotypical you know princessy things to do, um, the fact that she's doing them is really she's she's special for that. It's not that the the society is advanced.
1: Oh yeah, no, that's, that's what I was getting at. like that, that both of them have the same general expectations that you would expect, but the events don't let them slot into there. and it is disconcerting to all involved. like even like even Dola running around, People aren't that comfortable with her. I mean, she's she's their mom, and like the the husbands there down there in the engine thing. And they, like you said, they bring it up in the thing. It's like, but well, wait a second, you're a girl. She's like, well, yeah, I guess. Like the they are against the structure of of the rest of the world, and it is uncomfortable for them. They're they are people of their time and place put into situations that that don't fit. Which I think is the best thing you can do in these type of movies, uh, rather than just pretend. I mean, even Inazuka does it. Like where she's she a very mm-hmm. assertive person in that movie. But she is expected to fulfill these roles as the princess, as the leader of the people, as the the the, the you know, the girl that all the the, kill, the children gather around. It's I think it, it works better when you show a character doing something different, despite the fact that the entire surrounding world has different expectations of it.
2: Yeah, them. I feel like in this scene neither one of them has any other choice than to do what it is they do, so I'm not sure that you can really put a whole lot of uh, you know, agency of them, you know, of changing up gender roles or anything of that sort. I mean, what is she going to do? She's clearly surrounded by a bunch of adults who can basically tell her what to do and shoot her if she gets out of hand. And he's in the same boat. I mean, he's just been released from a dungeon, so well, it's it's a strip writer, and and
1: and what you would expect to happen is he breaks out of dungeon and saves her, and they make their escape.
2: Perhaps, I guess. One of the things that I like in
0: here is that uh, in this section of the film is that we've got this idea that uh, the secrets of the floating city have been passed down from generation to generation. Um using an it's an oral tradition because it turns out that that Sheeta knows secret words and phrases and poems that have power when combined with the crystal, and uh, you know she uses the the that to uh, uh awaken the robot. And uh, later we see more of that. I think that's kind of fun. The idea that that you're uncovering her legacy and it's not just that she's discovering that she's royalty on this uh, on this floating city, but th- that some of these funny things her grandmother told her are actually like super important powerful secret things. I think that's very cool
3: that brings up another question I have about the uh, the subtitling because the way it was subtitled in the version I watched she refers to the, that as spells, and I always mm-hmm. thought yeah. that was very yeah. weird that her grandmother's teaching. Her 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 spells is it different in a different version or is that actually the closest thing they could get
1: i think it says spells because i i bet that is the most reasonable translation of the japanese word but i don't i don't think it has the same cultural connotations whatever the original japanese word is doesn't that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like a direct translation would be oh it's like a spell but it's not like a spell, because when we hear that, we think magician is casting spells. So I'm willing to. Well, it's also to... the kind
2: of thing you tell a little kid when you're trying yeah. to comfort them on something. You tell it's a magic spell, and if you say it, <laughs> you'll feel better. Well, it kind of is. I mean, there is magic in this world, and these words.
1: That, you know, this is this is another common thing, like that you learn a song in childhood that turns out to be a special magical incantation, and you know, like this is all straightforward uh, stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally willing to go along with this, and it's it, it, even though it's a trope and uh, and spells. I kind of like it when I watch uh, Japanese movies where they do the most direct literal translation, even if it seems super weird, because mm-hmm. then I get to imagine that I'm actually hearing the Japanese and I could say, OK, well, don't take that as what the word actually is in English. Just say that, right. like this is their direct translation of what the words were and then turn that into what you think they were trying to say, like
2: make up some cultural yeah. background mm-hmm. that you don't understand for it,
3: which is basically what I did. Yeah.
2: Let me do the work myself. I'll I'll figure it out. I mean, I'm already reading the subtitles, guys. It's not like I just want to sit back and watch a dub. Exactly. I have to go back to the scene where Dola is reading uh, is reading positive the riot act for for letting Sheeta save and, him and eating a giant ham.
3: Yeah. Oh, that movie. <laughs> and so eating hungry. the giant
2: ham, which is also which is also great. I mean, that's not the that lady not knows a big,
4: how to open a lobster.
5: You don't always see that <laughs> from your <the laughs> old ladies, but she's, she's a pirate shell. old lady <laughs> slash
2: clown. Um, but yeah, I mean this this right here is is the big turning point for the pirates because up until this moment, you know, they're caricatures and they're bad guys and. The thing that changes here is is Dola is swayed by Pazu's determination to protect Sheeta after she's kind of read him the riot act about leaving her, and and she makes out at this point like she's bringing him along just because he can help make Sheeta cooperate. But it's clear from the look on her face that she's actually touched by his his willingness to want to save her. She's the so, power with a heart I mean,
1: of gold. There's a, <laughs> yeah, I mean,
2: there's there's a huge change that happens here. I mean, it's kind of the hinge point of the movie
1: for me, at least. I mean, you can see all that in there. Once you watch a movie, you see that that's dull from the beginning, but you just don't know. They don't reveal sure. like the, the sons are all still goofy and they're goofy through the whole movie. But she is the smart one. She is the one who understands the the tactics and, and knows how to negotiate the battle between the army and the spies and all that other stuff. And there, you know, as we will see in later scenes, there is much more depth to her yes. than, uh, than you would think. Well, she has depth
2: which sets her apart
0: <laughs> my memory of this film from five years ago I had her and her her boys as much more wacky and slapstick than they are I mean the boys are wacky and slapstick and they really like dessert by the way they're very enthusiastic <laughs> mm-hmm. about I get to lick the spatula dessert but uh, but Dola mom mama is uh, she is a very interesting character and not a you know zany wacky character at all she's got much more going on which I really like Uh, The robot blows a bunch of stuff up, by the way, at about this point in the movie. And there's the army and the robot. And the major plot point that happens here is Mushka gets the necklace and they're going to take their big army airship, the Goliath, and find Laputa. And meanwhile, everybody else goes back with mom and the boys to the i guess mother ship mom's mother ship <laughs> her own uh, ship the and tiger moth and it's a mom and pop operation it turns out because pop is like tinkering yeah. with stuff in the ship dad is a mole man stop yelling at me he says <laughs>
1: he's, he's the he's the
2: guy from Spirited Away who's down there with the multiple arms yeah, working the bellows. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it's my favorite part about him is he has a jug that uh, it, that is apparently named Ben because it says Ben on yeah. the side. <laughs> Yep. Oh, I that,
0: love that. They uh they uh all the, all the Mama's boys love Sheeta. Uh, they they try to give them jobs, but the boys are like, Hey, I'll let me help you with that. And also they lo- love dessert. Yeah. Well,
2: when you put on gigantic pink bloomers, it makes you utterly irresistible to men twice <laughs> your age. Yeah. That's great. That's a she- well-known pirate trope. <laughs> That's, has to put on mom's
3: clothes and, like, they're the size of a tent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They fit her pretty well, as it turns out, though. But somehow they found a shirt that was a, a little yellow shirt that's perfect, and the, but the pants are not. Yeah,
0: that's dad's. Yeah, maybe so.
5: And this is where we see those gender roles again where she's mm-hmm. put in the kitchen and yep. it's like, okay, you go... You're cooking five times a day. These these boys get hungry. Although she does, yep. she
0: does resist in that in that wonderful scene where I mean th- this section of the movie is really great because you've got all the climbing climbing around all over this airship yeah. and all of that. But she she where she kind of like refuses and basically climbs up to the top of the airship to see Patsu. She's not gonna she's not gonna shrink from it. Yep.
1: Yeah. Although you, in this thing, the dad is sort of the the you know the sort of cow dad. Like he's in the engine room with this. Yeah and she's job. the leader it's of the pirates Ben's. his only friend she's in charge of the ship but she would get shoved right into the kitchen right and then and she does come out again later with with the kite flying thing you know it says oh you can't do that it's not even even dola's willing
2: to. that's not that's not a thing for girls it's like what are, what are you talking about you're in charge of the whole ship she's like yeah but she's she's clearly saying that to prod her into doing it anyway yeah i don't
1: i don't know it's hard it's hard to say because i feel like dola is a creature of the same society with all these same roles and she just somehow doesn't see herself she sees herself as a man essentially in this world because yeah. She's in charge, but she totally accepts the role. She's like, Sheeta, you're a little girl, get right into the kitchen.
0: Yeah, this is um one of my favorite little moments in this movie is when uh when Sheeta and Patsu are up on the top of the of the ship. Oh, yeah. He's 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 taking over the watch and the other guy is a lot of detail here that's really great too. The 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 other guy is waiting and they tell him to put on you know put on a jacket because it's really cold yeah, up it's there. It's cold up
1: there and it's dark and you're alone and it's windy. And the other
0: guy's like, Oh great, you know, he's relieved to be off of duty, and then you know, she goes up there and and the, the the art direction of just the details of this of this steampunk uh, airship are so it's so great. And then there's that moment where they are um, up above the cloud layer. And like, a, like a, a whale or a shark or something down in the cloud layer, there's the realization that the Goliath is right below them. That is a beautiful shot that I really like. And yeah. of course, it's also a dramatic moment in the movie because it's like, uh-oh, the Goliath is here. And then <laughs> lots of crazy they stuff can't happens. can't see us in the nebula. Yeah,
1: exactly. But before that, like, when, they're, when they're up there on the thing, you've got Dola down there listening to them oh god yeah the whole sequence where they're up oh in the yeah up yeah watching. i love that dola is listening she's, she's listening in and the expressions on her face and yep. eventually yeah. when they start getting to like the part where they're maybe going to get all mushy she she politely is about to like close the thing and say okay well i'm not going to listen anymore out of privacy it's such a great yeah. she doesn't have any yeah. lines she's just there and you can hear her expression and look at her as she listens to them because they're talking about her they don't know she's listening but she's just she's just listening to their relationship and what they think of her and everything like that and eventually she's just like now I'll just let them up but then you know then the cliath comes and yeah. thing uh
2: that, I think, is what makes it clear that they're supposed to be maybe 11 or 12 or so, because there's so many sequences where, you know, they put on the same uh, poncho or whatever to stay warm, or he picks her up and carries her off to look over the edge on Laputa. And, I mean, those are clear scenes where in movies where they were slightly older, there would suddenly be like a romantic moment or a moment of awkwardness. Right.
1: But there's, there's none of that at all. They're just two friends looking at each and th- other, And they get that, that – we skipped over this, but that highlights the weirdness of the – the sons being all I want to help Sheeta. and I think, like, <laughs> yeah. here is how I explain this to, to myself. Not uh, because you see this in a lot of Japanese movies. The impression I get as a complete outsider, not knowing anything about this, or just having seen a lot of Japanese animation, that it is more accepted that that men will find young girls beautiful. Not perhaps in like a sexual way, although perhaps that way as well. But in general, that it is that that's Japan, a thing, baby. Right, mm-hmm. and then so in this movie, for them to be comically head over heels for wanting to go help her in the kitchen, which itself is a funny scene of like everyone wants wants to help out. She was supposed to be the one doing it, and she gets puts them all to work. But the fact that they're all gaga over her doesn't make sense to us from a Western perspective. But we see, we see this and we go danger, danger. Like this is not <laughs> this is not correct or acceptable. But in this movie, it's played as like well, everybody knows this is a thing, and look, isn't it just? Uh, sweet and innocent in the same way that the the two our two leads are just sweet and innocent with each other and it is jarring and it just it doesn't fit into my brain or my expectations for anything and it's it's creepy but because it's played so matter-of-factly because i've seen it so many times before i'm just like i guess they just think this is okay and it's just expected i don't know
2: my hope is that these guys are actually only supposed to be about maybe seventeen or eighteen themselves, so it's not does that quite help, so really? disgusting. It, it does a little. <laughs> I mean it depends on it depends on how old they're
0: weirdos and they're not very bright and they live on a ship on an airship with their mom. And
2: the only woman in their life that they ever She's see still is mom-year-old. And mom has clearly said, when you get married, you need to find someone like Sheeta here. Right, sure, right. Because she's mushy like me, so maybe they just misinterpreted that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: but, she failed to mention. But they're not that. very bright. Again, but they really like dessert, is what I'm saying. They're not very bright, but they really like dessert.
5: These scenes really remind me of Futurama with mom and her yeah. three kids, yeah. her three sons. <laughs> like, I kept thinking about Futurama, and so I think I have a little bit of that headcanon that makes it okay because. In Futurama, those kids are really messed up for a lot of reasons, and um, and so I think that I've got a little bit of crossover in that that makes it a little bit more okay in my head.
2: Look, these are pirates we're talking about here; they're not good people.
1: <laughs> I mean, and again, in the movie, Sheeta is not phased by this at all. She yeah. is not. She is not intimidated or
2: scared or worried about it. She puts them to work immediately. No, because she sees it as a way to get other people to peel the damn potatoes. Yeah. Right. And she <laughs> She's and smart.
1: She, she is. She has this daunting task and she rolls up her sleeves and she gets to it. And just mm-hmm. her and Patsu are just so sweet together. And again, like there's mm-hmm. never any any romantic tension between them. They're just good friends who care about each other. They never tease you with anything more than that. And it's just so sweet and innocent that, you know, especially from the perspective of a kid watching the movie, it all plays off as perfectly explicable. And I would imagine, although I have not interrogated my kids about it, that they—it hasn't even occurred to them to be creeped out yeah. by the fact that, that mom's, <laughs> you know, sons are all over her. It's a
0: cartoon, and they're goofy, and that's—I just let it go. I just don't think it's that. It's well,
2: they're such caricatures. I, yeah, I think that's the, yeah. really the saving grace, is because they're squash and stretchers, and they're clearly not meant to be realistic in any way, shape, or form. Still gross, though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would say actually, this is the part of the movie that feels the most, not the most Miyazaki. Like, it's like the, it's just like, it's Miyazaki gonna Miyazaki here. This is the thing. Cause it's <laughs> like the Goliath is there. We've got this kind of like action sequence happening between the Goliath and, 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 uh, and mom's ship. And they put, they fly up on their little kind of like kite thing that they have. There's the crazy storm. There's clouds everywhere. Incredibly dangerous looking kite thing. Like,
1: uh, in, in the, in the realm of like ridiculous machines that probably wouldn't work and also would be incredibly dangerous. Hey, there's a a totally crazy storm storm. that looks
0: like a hurricane. Why don't we send two kids up in a hang glider tied to the ship? Right, attached by a rope with a winch. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Also, they have controls, but I have no indication that they'd actually do anything. I think yeah, they're just and there and for And decoration. they're tied to each other, so they don't fall out? Or so they fall out together? <laughs> well, that's classic pirate stuff right there. Yeah,
0: but it's very exciting, you and it's also just like, it's Miyazaki being like, yeah, one airship, two airships, a third flying vehicle, <laughs> clouds, right. and then finally, I mean, it's a nice moment for Patsu, because he's like, I, you know, I know Laputa is inside those clouds, and that's the that's the thing that un- unlocks it, but it's just, it's, it's more air aerial action from Miyazaki because that is his thing. He loves it. Mm-hmm
3: and then also like at the beginning of the the scene in the kite when they're they're launching it is my one of my favorite Cheetah moments because you know she, it, it's actually just after uh, Dola says you know that's not a thing for girls to do and she you know throws it back in her face and, yep. and then she's like well but when when you're gone uh, once you detach you're going to have to use the phone to talk to me and immediately <laughs> you get the phone and ringing and phone. <laughs> she picks up <laughs> this <laughs> phone and she's like wow she really is good yeah. I was like she's yeah good. go Cheetah <laughs> that's right and so so
0: they it's a great action sequence and then we are at Laputa, the castle in the sky, this city that is floating inside this... I was trying to think, like, if they're inside the big hurricane cloud all the time... um, I was wondering what life is like on Laputa because that means that they don't have a lot of sunlight I guess because there's a whole big cloud around them all the time or something sunlight comes from the top
3: or maybe yeah I know that was a defense that was a defense mechanism because remember the clouds went away afterwards yeah the
2: shields are up so when when she arrives they'll clear Mm -hmm. out you can only get through if if ghost dad leads you through the lightning wall I thought that was
0: creepy and interesting like like he's seeing you know that his father came this way before whether that's literally something or whether it's just his memory I like that moment of like this is where this is what my father did that patsy was i think he's been struck
2: by lightning at that point, it could be he's hallucinating
0: <laughs> it could be or it could be that there's some sort of time vortex inversion layer between them oh that's and what it is
2: yeah probably that's
0: what it is. it's clear i mean science really yeah um, it's obvious
1: right. it's a great, great reveal because the kite sort of plops down on the little platform and then the clouds are floating by at, at ankle level because of course they're up in the sky yeah. and just yeah. the, the way this is drawn as like This beautiful castle floating in the sky, but so clearly overgrown with everything and just the birds flapping around and the moss and the grass over everything. It's a place where you would love to hang out.
2: I like that they have their moment to themselves when we don't think about the fact that Goliath is still out there and the pirates Mm -hmm. are... Have just been shot down, you know they 've got maybe five to ten minutes to walk around and discover shock that a Miyazaki movie has a giant tree at the center of everything yeah. <laughs> um, but they have that time when when we just ignore the fact that, oh yeah, the clouds probably blew away because the Goliath has come in, and uh there 's probably some you know some exploding of the city happening. But we get that uh, that sort of brief respite where they just get to explore. I think that's really cool. We got the cool. flowers. The, the, the robot finds the bird eggs that it
0: has to protect from
1: the
2: mm-hmm.
0: kite. Yeah, more mm-hmm. robots. Uh, that, that makes me very happy. There are robots that have been there a while, and they're covered with plants and moss. And, they're
5: fuzzy. Fuzzy robots. And little
0: fox squirrels. <laughs> hmm. Yep, right out of Nazica.
5: Yeah. Oh, I love the fox squirrels. This is the scene that every time I watch it, it makes my heart hurt. Um, every time I watch this movie and I forget, and then I see the scene and my heart just hurts because I know I feel sad for the little robot or well, the giant robot that's been alone (laughs) for so long. And like all of these things that it's taken guardianship or was assigned guardianship or whatever. And then what's going to happen? You know, you know that their environment, even though the garden itself, survives in the end i know the environment is going to change vastly and all those little robot friends giant robot friends fall to their doom (laughs) when all of that degrades and Mm -hmm. it just their, their little
2: upper level garden stays intact we do see that as the tree floats off into the sky
5: yeah, but it's like, it's the sweet moment, but it's, it's like... It's okay, Aline. The robot goes on <laughs> and on cry. and on. He's solar-powered.
1: No. He just keeps on going on. I don't know if he's allowed to go up with the trees. It was, it's just like, you know, in nature versus machines in a Miyazaki movie, always better in nature.
0: And the next yeah, few hundred sweet. years, people living in that world are going to be digging up robots and they're going to like, <laughs> that have landed in the dirt somewhere and they're going to be coming alive and making friends.
3: Everybody's going to have their own robot. Well,
2: they've, they've all landed in that gigantic crater. That has been made by the, <laughs> the mushroom cloud. That was. You can order on Amazon, by the way, a uh, a planter
0: that is uh, the head of the, of the robot, and you can plant. <laughs> but you know, there's <laughs> a lot of, a lot of army guys
2: it. that fell down there too. So whatever kind of destruction was wrought will probably be fertilized pretty well. Yeah, fell in the ocean. It'll be soon fine. come back. Oh, that's I right, they were so over the ocean. That's right. I forgot. They made a point of mentioning that they were over the ocean.
3: Yeah, but falling into the ocean from that height, you're not going to live.
1: No. No, I'm just saying, like, the ocean will swallow up all the debris. No oh, I sightly, see. The robots, yeah. No unsightly
2: yeah. yeah. debris. That's true. Well, no, and there's there's the whole bit where uh, he fires off the massive cannon or whatever it is, and, and mm-hmm. there's a mushroom cloud, which well, we have it's to have. Not, it's not, not an familiar. anime movie without a mushroom cloud. Come mm-hmm. on. you got to have it. Mm-hmm. and And – it's in keeping with everything else in this movie because it's the boy's adventure tale where bad things don't really happen or at least if they do they happen off screen where we don't have to see them um you have to know that that uh, explosion was just over the ocean so nobody died it's all good hey, hey, except for all the army men who got dumped out of the, the bottom of the <laughs> glass floor thing earlier <laughs> only yeah bad guys, but they're died. off screen only only bad you know, guys. and they probably they probably just splashed into the Into the water.
1: They're okay. They they bobbed up and and went... (laughs) (laughs) After falling three miles into the ocean.
0: (laughs) Yep. But this is uh, I, I do like the the pause we get. It's very nice, and then of course the army is there and and ruins everything. And they arrest the pirates, and they're looting the city. They find jewels and treasure, and uh, and uh, so they're distracted by it because they don't know the true power. Yeah, of and the, Mushka uh, goes thing. off, and you know he's our true villain here, and he's got his own plan that he's going to uh, that he's going to put into uh, into play, place. The the whole thing is beautiful to look at every every little bit of it. Is just beautiful to look at. They have those little
1: beaver creatures swimming in the water. When they zoom down into the water that has filled the chasms, you see these prehistoric fish. Uh, echoes of uh, early uh, foreshadowing of Ponyo there, where there's this ancient place where these prehistoric fish still swim.
2: And like two-thirds of this movie, as it turns out, is it, it involves whatever the kids are hanging from falling off.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. This the animator has got a lot of exercise making things fall apart into pieces, whether it be uh, railroad trestles or you know masonry the, things, the bricks or, in
2: his house. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh,
0: when he when uh, when Patsu jumps over that one point to the other side, I'll go first, and then it just it progressively starts climbing. falling, and he keeps climbing up, and that part yeah. falls, and he just keeps climbing up. That's really great. There, there, I love some of the yeah. art direction when they go when they get inside. There's that really weird inner chamber that's all those floating blocks. Mm. There's like a control chamber that looks fairly intact but then there's this other control chamber that's just like clotted with r- tree roots and there are bugs and uh, and a big crystal and like a tablet stone tablet instruction manual on how to run the castle in the sky i guess but uh, all, so many different <laughs> environments that are all beautiful and interesting as we go through it's
2: it this, it's the uh, it's the black stone i spoken of in legend surely sure, you've heard of it of
0: course so Shida is captured, Patsu is, you know, he frees the mom and mom and the pirates and
2: all of that. They Jason, they, you don't want to just skip over the fart joke, Jason. Yeah, there was a fart joke there. Oh, and it's a great. it's a pretty good one too, I gotta say. Pazu climbs into the window and one of those uh, you know, exploding potatoes gets thrown in after him and there's an explosion, and we see Dola rise up off of the ground and smoke kind of <laughs> emanates from around her fundament and uh and uh, everybody kind of looks at her and she says, it wasn't me, yeah. which is great. <laughs> that is good. It's good. It's a solid one.
3: <laughs> this is also the point where I think for me, I kind of, uh, Mushka went from a character that I I probably shouldn't admit this, but I sort of had a crush on to <laughs> being like really, really obnoxious over the top mustache twirling villain. So, yeah, <laughs> he's killing everybody. Really he doesn't
1: care about any of the people who came there with him. He doesn't care about the army people. He just wanted the machine and he's yeah. willing to kill everybody else. And hey, it's going to he be a little. Creepy stuff like, "Oh, uh, Sheda you're going to be here with me because we're both royalty." He, he, he right reveals
0: that not? he is part. He also has a secret uh, Laputa La name and is also royalty. And he is, he declares himself. He literally just declares himself king and starts killing everybody else. Um, yeah, because he's he's a.
2: He's a no, he, we never a hear dude. what his name translation is. We hear that she's the true ruler, but what is it? Uh, Tuel?
4: Fake yeah. the
3: fake ruler. That's what his name translates he to. Won <laughs> the, uh,
2: he, he
4: won the electoral college. <laughs> There High it is. Five. Well,
1: if there if there's a man alive, like the, then the rule transfers to the man, even though she's technically closer
2: to the throne. Yeah, who knows? Oh, is that okay, what It, it, is? it translates Bigger to army, it, diplomacy. really seems, in charge. It seems to me like yeah. whoever's
0: got the uh, got the the control of the throne room can. Uh, can make it happen because nobody's really paying attention. But this, we do end up with our confrontation where Mushka's there and and uh, our two our two kid friends are there. And, oh, I love and, this part. And the, and there's that moment where uh, it's basically like you know just give me. He's got the gun that he's used to to uh, to blast open the hole and go in there. And he's got the the crystal and Mushka wants the crystal. And there's like give me a minute to talk to her. And there's whisper uh, whisper 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 classic, whisper, classic whisper. villain error. I Never know. give anybody. Yeah, yeah but he's what got he's got a gun one? and. Minutes. the crystal right so there's this it's ah. sort of like a standoff he's kind of got to give him that and he's like all right then we'll do it and of course that's the uh the secret plan is that she's going to use the the spell of destruction the right. incantation which Valus. turns out to be a
2: very short spell
0: it's a very yeah, short it's spell one wo- it's like one word, word yeah
1: right. and also like it's one of those things where like what exactly is the purpose of the spell <laughs> that destroys the entire city like i know it's the spell <laughs> of destruction but like it's without any to more to the entire mean, like, city Like, is this the spell that fires the big weapon that makes the mushroom god? No. This is the spell
2: that destroys the entire thing you're currently floating on. John, you have to have a spell of destruction if you're going to have a spell of creation. It's just how it works. I think it's the... uh, Aloha. (laughs) Aloha. hello i
0: I think my headcanon here is that what they've uh, passed down across the generations is basically like protection stuff so that if something goes wrong and people do go back to laputa and are using it for evil then this uh line of the family can put a stop to it that because they decide to remember they decided not to live there anymore and go back down to earth so that's what i think is like the spell of destruction is like a last resort because as we see here a bad guy
2: is basically going to take over the, the the castle in the sky and that could well have been something they programmed into the crystal just before they left, because yeah. they knew it might be needed. Someday. Yeah. Otherwise, you might say it accidentally,
3: and that makes perfect sense too. Because if if you're the people who have you know been living in this city your entire life, and you're finally you know deciding, you're it, it's got to be a hard decision to leave and go back to Earth. Uh, the idea of actually destroying your home as you leave is probably too much for them. But they knew that they needed to build in a, a fail safe just in case somebody else discovered it later. It's like the end of Wally. Yeah, that's a real
2: point because why wouldn't you just blow it up as soon as you took right. off? But yeah, that makes good sense. Because like, they, it's home. they spent they a long time bear. making this. The gardens are beautiful, really. And also, why not give the robots
1: some time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <There
2: you go. laughs>
1: and also, by the way, this is the place where where uh, earlier uh, where a castle in the sky disgorges a huge flood of these robots. You thought there was just one or two taking care of the garden yeah. and that right. one that fell? No, no there's like a hundred of, of them. Yeah, and they go out with their wings and they're blowing up the Goliath and killing all the army guys. Yeah. More robots. Well, they so just, many robots. They kind of
2: just tromp around. And you don't actually see them. Well, again, it's it's in the the same vein where you don't actually see any of the murder and awfulness, and people just kind of fall right. off of the uh, the castle. Well, they
1: the they come out
2: with their wings. Like it's it's like a swarm of them. They're all flying.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. they all they come through And they the are
3: tubes. attacking the Goliath.
2: True. Which bursts into flames, but it, they're probably uh, non-lethal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're okay. I'm sure they'd slowly float to the ground and probably perch between two buildings where somebody has to come out and rescue them. Yeah. So the, the destruction <clears throat> of, of Laputa
1: is a great exercise in these animators drawing blocks. Yep. Falling apart in beautiful patterns and you know mm-hmm. tumbling over each other. It's like it's like animator school with like basic shapes and just you know taked into the nth degree. Yeah, there's a real Tetris feel to this part.
3: 3D
0: Tetris. It, it, this is the big version of that that thing where uh, where Patsu is climbing up and things keep falling off. Mm-hmm. Now it's like the whole, but it's not the whole city. That one of the things I really like about this destruction and I, every time I watch this movie, I'm reminded <laughs> of it is is the tree you know, remains. It's like the core of the city is this tree and it still gets to float around. It's just all the stuff. Of they course built the around. tree
2: remains. This is a yeah. Miyazaki. Exactly.
1: Movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and as the idea is like when they left, that tree was just like the central tree right? But you leave for a few hundred years and that tree is now the whole thing. Like, yeah. The roots go everywhere. They're constantly fighting with the roots in the various scenes. Patsu is saved by a root when he's like on the root that's wrapping around the bottom. He comes back in through the bottom kind of like Luke trying to climb up through the uh, the thing in the bottom of Bespin. Only Patsu makes it because he uses bare feet. That's another cute thing where he takes mm-hmm. off the socks to get better mm-hmm. grip and he's, he's running around with his bare feet with his little monkey feet like gripping onto things <laughs> like when he's jumping up trying to uh, get back to Sheeta, worming his way through these little... uh holes that he blasts in the wood with his... They do a good thing of giving him like three bullets and you're counting them as he uses them. So, you know, he's got the one bullet to make the hole and the one bullet for this. And then, you know, he's out of ammo later. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice sequence. Although I feel like in the inner chamber, she doesn't have anything to do. She stands
2: there, listens to the mustache twirling guy do his thing. Well, she does try to stop him from killing all the army guys. You do see some of that. But then he, she gets... Smacked for it, and she does get
1: shot in the back, kind of like he—he's running after her, and he shoots, but she actually just trips. You might think, "Oh, he just shot her
2: dead." No, she's fine. She gets back up. Um, I remember seeing that and thinking, "Wow, that's a bold move to have her just right, get she's shot. shot in the back at the end." <laughs> Cut the credits. Well, eventually, of course, that tree lands and takes root in Japan, and uh, Totoro moves in, and uh, there's a cat bus, and also some corn is left at somebody's you know, hospital. It all fits together.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like the climax of this movie. Is one of the what, uh, one of the many things that I feel like slots it in for me below Nausicaa, because Nausicaa does almost all the same things, but in a way that I find more pleasing and is in general more sophisticated and more you know self serious uh, and less squash and stretch. Uh, because the, the climax of the movie is uh, them saying the spell together that destroys it and defeats our mustache twirling villain. But by that point, like everything else had been stripped away, we only care about this one evil guy getting the city. And once you eliminate him, it's like oh. Well, I guess we're done then, because the army guys were taken care of earlier, and you two are safe, and you've defeated the one guy, and now you just have the big floating city, and, it, you know, it's like they don't know how to end it, like,
2: and floating tree credits. Yeah. Well, you end it with a Scooby-Doo sound effect, I think. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I did, my notes are much less from the very end of the film, because it's just sort of, there's the action, and it happens, and then in the end, they pull the self-destruct lever, basically, and it all, and everybody's okay, and, you know, they, they leave, they, they kite away at the end, and the roots save them, because trees are our we discover friends. We
2: discovered that the pirates, at some point that we never saw, were able to make off with some treasure, although... I have no idea when that was.
1: Yeah, well, they're pirates. In they're their always, always stealing it, putting it in their pockets, mm-hmm. and they they connect all the little bug ships together in a little wacky centipede that goes. Do, 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 yes, do, 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 do. and they and they land <laughs> their
0: little uh, their little kite. They they land there, and they're like, it's totally overloaded. And then Patsu and Sheeta come, and they're like, all right, I guess well, <laughs> they can come on board too. But they've got their jewels. They're they're gonna. Uh, what I like about that is like we've come to like the pirate family, and here it's like they're gonna be fine, even if even if Pop yeah. kind of yeah, lost his ship. ship. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, right. they got all those jewels and stuff. They're gonna be
2: fine. They're, it's all. Pay no it's mind okay. to the fact that the mining community from which Pazu hails is running out of mining things and is probably going to starve to death. <laughs> That's a different movie. Yeah, we should ignore that.
0: <laughs> all of the that glowing stuff was causing uh, terrible environmental carnage, so they really needed to stop yeah. mining it. That's, it's
1: for the best. Ethereum I mean, poison. That whole mining town should move back to, like, the, you know, the hills are alive with the sound of music where she is from, because that place is beautiful. She's there with the yaks on the grass-covered hill, and there's the scenic mountains around.
0: How do you feel about raising yaks?
1: <laughs> Whatever she's doing, she was able to support herself, and it was way nicer than this crater-infested gash in the earth filled with trains.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe that's where they'll end up. Maybe that, that's where they'll end up. Well, so this is the this is the end. Yes, trees are our friends. They save the day. A tree is floating in the sky. Perhaps there uh, is a Totoro what a living there. From
2: the usual Miyazaki yeah, movie. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> All right. So there's some great things I got to mention that I did not feel like interrupting the flow of the podcast with little details that I loved. Um, there's the bit where Shita is descending from the heavens and her body suddenly regains gravity. Yeah. That is yes. the greatest heavy visceral it's so great. animation I have seen. You can feel oh, that's it.
1: That's very, very cartoonish. I saw that he's coming. His knees and he's so like, ready yeah. for it.
2: But it's like you know it's about to happen. Yep. You know, you see right, the right. the crystal suddenly dimming, and then yeah, suddenly yeah. all of her weight lands on him. And I mean, as ridiculous as his his response to it is, you can feel that when she when mm-hmm. she suddenly gains weight. It's crazy i uh,
1: got the thing where he's working the brake, like says oh you get to use to work the uh the thing for the elevator right and he's you know this is like maybe the first or second time he gets to work break. the, for the yeah. elevator <laughs> so he's there concentrating and he's doing it, and his little tongue sticking out of the corner of his mouth but then he gets distracted by just seeing her feet up about you know because she's still up there on the platform and he yeah. just looks up at her feet for a second and i said whoa with at the break lots of there's lots of subtle moments in there that you know that You'll see it much more in in, in uh, later movies where they don't <laughs> well, they don't
2: over sell it. That whole thing is great because it's like oh yeah a girl fell from the sky earlier, but I got have got a job right. to and do. He, try, he keeps trying to
1: tell his boss that, but boss the girl he's like yeah 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 steam whatever now, blah blah
2: blah. <laughs> We're all gonna starve. Uh, I got things to worry about here. <laughs> There's also another great little detail. I like the bit where she hands the crystal through the wall to him, mm-hmm. and he puts yeah. it in his mouth so that he can blow a hole through the wall so he can get through. And there's a couple of little bits where he opens his mouth slightly to line up his shot, and you can his mouth glows a little glows. bit with the crystal inside. <laughs> it's great. And then last thing, I promise, last thing. Uh, I love the sequence where Dola passes out on her Sky Mosquito because she got hit by a chunk yeah, of rock. Yeah, she's or dangling because she's attached by the thing to her belt so good and he's got to reach around her and then of course she wakes up at the exact right moment and puts one hand on his head and then reaches for the control with the other one and she's got the broken goggle like the glass tinks off of it and just floats away (laughs) and it makes that
1: noise that only anime movies make yeah miyazaki's flying things make that noise Uh, Nausicaa's wing made that noise many times
0: so i'm interested what everybody overall so we heard from john there how he ranks this uh you know in, in terms of miyazaki at least we know john that that it's it's uh it's below nausicaa for you
1: yeah it, it is it is a uh, like it does so many things that nausicaa does like i'm not gonna say it's the same movie because clearly the settings are different but it is it is the, in the genres of miyazaki movies there is the, the the wacky kids movies which is a whole section over there you've got the latter day uh a little bit more artsy wacky kids movie like howl and spirit away and stuff and then in in the 80s you have these movies that are like adventure movies with varying degrees of seriousness and among them Laputa has many things going for it i love the music i love the opening sequences great things in the middle but overall it feels less sophisticated to me than nausicaa nausicaa feels more fully realized and I feel like the story has a more satisfying climax and conclusion. And uh most damningly this movie does not have a post credit sequence that shows me how everybody ended up in a bunch of cute montages. And I need that. Well need John, The
2: only thing that matters is how the tree ended up. You should know that. No. I do not care about the tree floating above You get to above see the tree the... through all phases of the day mm-hmm. and night.
1: Yeah, floating above the, the cartoonishly curved earth. So this one, it I feels more like a trifle to me. And if this was the only one that existed, I would love it. But when Nausicaa's there as well, I feel like this is just, you know...
0: The poor man's Nausicaa. Wow.
3: Yeah, I kind of thought that the tree was going to die at the end because it got so far <laughs> away from the earth, there's no
2: oxygen fine. left. There's
0: plenty of sun, plenty of well, sun. Well, you don't need oxygen tree. when you got ethereum. Yeah,
3: exactly
2: right. Or <laughs> propellers, <laughs> for that matter, but we put them on anyway. Or carbon dioxide, I guess. All
0: right, so Steve, what about you? How do you How do you feel overall about Castle in the Sky? Where's this rank?
2: You know what? I uh, I liked this a lot. I thought it was, I just, I liked the the tone of it. It was a romp. And uh, Nausicaa is not, I, I actually like this better than Nausicaa because of that. And I also like the lack of complexity. I think uh, uh, it's, it's nice to have a film that's just really legitimately an adventure tale. And it doesn't really um, attempt to be anything more than that. No. Um it's strangely enough. It took me a little while to get into it, but once I did, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, uh, I really dug it. I'm not sure how it sits with, say, Kiki's and Totoro, because those are kind of off by themselves. They're not really the same kind of movie. Yeah, they're not really even in the same universe. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's hard for me to slot them in against that. But 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 against Noska, which is in a lot of ways a uh, very similar movie, I, I enjoyed this more just because of the tone
3: erica what do you think well i've seen a lot less miyazaki um and previously Noshko was my favorite by like a million million miles but i actually think i like this better not by not by a ton it's it's kind of like just by a hair but actually for a lot of the same reasons that steve said i just appreciated the fact that this was a fairly straightforward adventure story uh with with you know two characters and that was another thing that i really appreciated was that we had two characters working together and going on an adventure together whereas in naushka it's mostly mostly just her um she's she's really the center of the movie and while i i love that naushka has kind of more to say about you know humanity and and that sort of thing there's there's it it's in castle in the sky but it's more like a hint of it that's kind of in the background and the 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 adventure itself is forefronted um and it just it really felt like a lot of the anime that i have enjoyed uh a lot throughout the years so i mean if, if castle in the sky is your thing i do recommend checking out nadia the secret of blue water hmm. it's 39 episodes so it's it's a heck of a lot longer but it feels very very much the same um and apparently that's because the idea was uh, uh from back in like the 70s or something like that that Miyazaki was first started working on it and he ended up cannibalizing it for some of the ideas for Castle in the Sky and then they ended up doing Nadia anyway after the fact. Mm. So
1: Yeah, this does feel more like, like I can imagine this as a TV show because it feels like that. Mm. Not that it's episodic, mm. but it, when you see right. the characters, like adventure stories lend themselves well to a bunch of, you know, 25-minute episodes. Like like Future Bar Conan mm-hmm. is the, you know, the prototypical super early example and a lot of the A lot of the characters, the ages of the characters, how old is the boy hero in this story? Lots of anime series have boy heroes like that. Mm. Um, I need everyone to be dead, of course, so I like Nausicaa better, but...
3: I will say that Nashka had the fox squirrel being much more important uh, yes. to the stage, <laughs> and this this did not have nearly enough fox squirrels. But for it me. had so
1: many of them; it was like nine. You got to love that little bit of fan service, though. I it mean, was like, cool they? Piece. They scampered on the on the shoulders of a robot covered with moss. So that's got to count. That's good. That's
3: true. Yes, quantity quantity over quality. But yeah, actually, I, I will point out that Nadia has a uh, a little gray lion cub named Kingu. So mm. you know, that's <laughs>
0: another <laughs> thumbs Kingu. Up for that. So cute. so cute, Aline. Mm. Uh, what what do you think?
5: I'm kind of with Steve and Eric on this. Um, Nausicaa I like because she's definitely the heroine. She's got a lot of agency, but it's it's definitely more serious. And this is a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit more fun, a little bit more teamworky. Um, I. I like that. There's a lot of pink, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> pink hair, <laughs> pink pants on everybody. Um, I feel like Dola trousers. has
2: insisted because that's her favorite yeah.
5: color. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that, and I love that because you wouldn't, uh, according to you know kind of our expectations of what color she would like pink is definitely not it you know gender stereotyping she's surrounded by men and she makes them all wear pink pants and slippers.
1: what about the pigtails
5: this is the it, this is yeah.
1: the best Miyazaki movie for for is that what they're called pigtails she gets her pigtails uh-huh. shot off first of all
2: oh poor little thing nothing is worse than having your pigtails shot off <laughs> dola's pigtails could could choke a
1: horse they're like it's incredibly powerful mm. pigtail. Nothing is worse
2: than having your pigtail
1: shot a- and, off. Man. And it's again, with the, the cartoon physics, when they are surprised, their pigtails go up like they're antennae or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it yeah. totally works in context. You totally buy it. It's like, wait a second. Are her pigtails floating? Yes, they are.
5: Yeah, <laughs> of course they are. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I love that. And it's also one of the first Miyazaki movies I saw. Uh, so it's got kind of a special sentimental place in my heart, too, for the for. Just that reason. So I'm I'm Team Castle in the Sky. If I have to pit it against anything, um, and it's definitely in my top, I don't know, three or four Miyazaki movies. And Merlin, what about you? Yeah, this is
4: a weird one. Um, I have very strong <laughs> feelings about this movie because my my kid really loved it when she was little, and I think this was the second Miyazaki movie I saw after seeing Totoro uh, a couple times. Uh, and I I feel like. In the taxonomy, I want to slot it alongside like Porco Rosso, where it's like, "Ooh, what is this? Who is this for?" But like, it's it's very well done. It's it's you know, it's charming and weird. But uh, yeah, yeah, I w- it would not be in my top five. But I I do think there's a lot to love about it. The music is astonishing. I like the way – this sounds so mundane. I like the way the characters are drawn. I like the uh, sort of straightforwardness, the almost not, – not Disney-ness of them, but I like the straightforwardness of the way a lot of the characters, the, the two main characters are drawn. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's terrific. I did not uh, – I've been quiet this episode partly because I did not feel – I didn't love it as much as I did the last time I hmm. saw it. There are others now that get the no, no, this is nothing against the movie. I mean, it's like John says, I mean, how do you grade on this particular curve? It's crazy. I mean, like, we just saw the I've seen the trailer for Baby Boss three times, and I want to take my life. Like you hmm. you look at this and it's like, oh my God, this is an extraordinary achievement. But uh it is funny over time as I as I get older, the ones that kind of rise. And, you know, Nazica is one of those ones where like, you know, that it it's it's so weird and it's so ambitious and it was you know, done so relatively early. No, I, I have I have great feelings. I and like I said to you earlier on Slack, Jason, I have such fond memories of you know my kid loving this movie when I was a kid. So I I still like it a lot. I would still highly recommend it. But like as I am drawn to the weird Miyazaki, mm. I I find myself mm-hmm. like just my my brain is still untangling a lot of things about what spirited away right like how's i know a lot of people how's moving castle is not a lot of people's favorite movie but like that movie is still, brings the weird it is so weird there's so much i don't understand in that movie like why you know and john john will explain it to me someday why his hair keeps changing like but like i i just i when it comes to weird miyazaki i like a pedal to the metal i think i think porco Rosso a little weirder than this one utterly charming movie uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't want to sound nonplussed cause I really do like it and enjoyed watching it, but it didn't grab me as much as it did a few years ago, but uh, I still, I still really enjoy it's it. It's
0: funny. I mean, listening to you describe, uh, Nausicaa and, and, uh, and describe this movie, I, I think I, I kind of agree, but with a different result, which is, um, Nausicaa, you know, it is, I I'd say more challenging. It is weird and there are there it, it, it's uh, i can appreciate it in many ways on an intellectual level in a way that maybe i don't castle in the sky however it's darker and
1: more grim yeah right? yeah. yeah
0: but it, mm-hmm. it 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 will it's not even close to the amount of fondness that i have for castle in the sky i love this yeah, movie yeah. i want to give it a big hug it is not at the level of <laughs> kiki and totoro because i consider those two of the right. best things ever made in in, in in set to film but i put Put it above any other Miyazaki I've seen. I, I I love the adventure story. I love the look of it. You get the weird train stuff. You get the weird airship stuff. I I think it looks great. It moves really well. Um, it is. Is it light? Is it a little bit of a trifle? Yeah, I guess that's fair. But
4: it's so it's a good. Fun. It's a really good adventure story. It's though. So fun. I mean,
0: that's unimpeachable. I mean, Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark is a really good adventure story too, and that's one of my fa- one of my favorite movies. I I can forgive. I can forgive a lot for for having it be a, a, a you know there's more to Raiders than that. this is not not Raiders of the Lost Ark but it gave me some of those feelings and some of those scenes uh, so I like it a lot uh, although not at the level of of uh, of Kiki or uh, or Totoro I
3: really got to see
1: those Have you seen Castle of Cagliostro Jason? No, I have
0: not. Mm. Yeah, well, I we'll see where it slots. List, but mm.
1: yeah, but it, it this this is very much like that in terms of tone but that it but it, that one is so much more I'm not going to say primitive but it's like like prehistoric. Anyway, it's a weird one. Maybe we'll get to it eventually.
2: Well, this this is a swashbuckling pirate yeah. adventure. Yeah. Do you like Treasure Island? But you felt it didn't have quite enough airships. Yeah.
4: Have we done? Have we? We didn't do How's Moving Castle. We have no? not. by. It's my
5: favorite. It's my favorite. Oh. I wonder where oh, we wow. will go
4: next with
0: <laughs> mm. Miyazaki Movie Club. It could be there. We could go on a moving castle. It's possible. Let's do Ponyo. Oh no. Uh, oh. I have things to say about Ponyo. Ponyo. I, I thought it was, oh. I, my, yeah, it's weird, but we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, weird. but that is for another podcast. So for this podcast, I think it's time to wrap up another edition of our Miyazaki Movie Club. And I want to thank my panelists for joining me in this adventure in the skies. Steve Lutz, thank you very much.
2: Yeah, You can't be a sensitive woman like me without learning a few things, Jason. Mm,
0: very nice, very nice. Merlin Mann, thank you. Call me captain. Aline Sims, thank you.
5: I was going to say nothing's worse than getting your pigtail shot off, but everyone already took <laughs> that <Stunt. from> it. <laughs> Say it
2: anyway. It's great.
5: <laughs> nothing's worse than getting your pigtail shot off. Yay.
0: Erica Ensign, thank you. More fox squirrels. More fox squirrels. i <laughs> agree. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and uh, John Syracuse, uh, did we determine if the robot is a robot or not?
1: I think we did that, but I can not tell you that if you keep watching the credits, uh, at the end you find out if the tree talks. <gasps>
0: Oh, that's right in my wheelhouse. Can anybody hear the tree, is
2: the question.
1: (laughs) If a tree floats above the earth and nobody hears it. Is the tree going through puberty? Does it make a sound?
2: It says meow in the voice of Phil Hartman. Yeah. (laughs) Meow.
0: (laughs) And I have been your host, Jason Snell. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Incomparable. We'll see you next time.
2: Pirates listen to their mom